Thank you, President. Well, it's a good Sunday, isn't it? The first Sunday of 2022. Kind of a unique position to be where we can look back at 2021 and look ahead to the year that lies before us. One we know all about, and one we have no clue what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, right at the start of today, I want to start by acknowledging a couple of folks who had some contributions to my message this morning. One is Dr. David Jeremiah, under whose ministry I was saved 50 years ago, 51 now. <laughs> and then also to Charles Dickens. Uh, Mr. Dickens made a significant contribution to my message today. With that said, as we stand here at the start of the new year, I'm kind of mindful that many of us pledge to change in the year ahead of us, don't we? How many of you made resolutions for this next year? <laughs> How many have already broken one or two of those resolutions? Yeah, that's why I don't try to bother anymore. So, but one word that I believe is key at, at this time of year, and it gets pitifully little attention, is the word change. Christ's advent that we just celebrated at Christmas, his first advent, his first coming to earth, was a clear statement, I think, from God that said that things were about to change. So today I'd like us to keep that word in mind, especially in the context of changed lives, uh, as we saw last week, changed hearts, and finally changed souls. And we're probably going to do this on a, in a context that may be a little different to you. So let's look, starting with today's big idea. Today's big idea is that real change at Christmas comes from the Holy Spirit, not the world's Christmas spirit. How many of you have actually read Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, Old English and all? Good, some. It's reportedly been filmed about 200 times, including versions by The Muppets, George C. Scott, Jim Carrey, <laughs> my wife's favorite, and now mine, Patrick Stewart's version. That's Captain Picard for you Star Trek fans. And many of you probably have your own favorite versions. It probably tops a lot of people's list of holiday classics to watch each Christmas, along with the Miracle on 34th Street, or It's a Wonderful Life, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But it's right up there with all of them. And someone once said a classic is a book that is much loved, yet seldom read. And actually, A Christmas Carol, probably at least in our generations, that's probably true. We tend to watch it on video more than we actually go back and read it. But A Christmas Carol is one of the shortest and easiest to read of Dickens' novels. It's also one of his most available. You can get it in inexpensive paperback. You can get it on books on CD, on the Internet. You can get it on Audible. It's, it's worth reading. But, of course, if you're not into reading, you can also watch one of those marvelously done video presentations. At age 31, in the fall of 1843, Dickens was already a well-known author for works such as Oliver Twist, Nicholas Nickleby. But like most authors, he also had his flops like his most recent book, Martin Chuzzlewit. That's even difficult to say sometimes. But Dickens had pressure to perform. He was supporting his wife and four kids, 
But he was also supporting a set of, of greedy siblings and uh, a pair of financially irresponsible parents. But he was their support. So drawing on his own experiences and knowledges of the ne- less seemly side of London culture at the time, he wrote this timeless story of a tightwad named Ebenezer Scrooge. But he wrote it with the theme of change, that, that people can change, and that Christmas can change them. Now today I want us to look at what I call the four C's of Ebenezer Scrooge. So let's have some fun. What do you say? We'll, we'll start by looking at Scrooge's character. Character is our first C. Scrooge was well known as a miser. He had two character issues. The first one was that he was a miser. The cold-hearted, dark-spirited, penny-pinching, surviving member of the London firm of Scrooge and Marley. And Dickens' story opens with that old miser working at his desk on Christmas Eve and requiring his clerk, Bob Cratchit, to do the same thing. Cratchit was in the office next to him, a different room, shivering, because the boss wouldn't even purchase enough coal, or at least allow its use, to warm up their offices. And Dickens does such a wonderful job of describing Scrooge's character. Let me read his words. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. I hope nobody ever says that about me. Hard and sharp as flint, secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and he spoke out shrewdly in a grating voice. He carried his own low temperature about with him. (laughs) Now, does that sound like somebody we'd all like to work for? Well, the thing is, his personal magnetism wasn't reserved just for his employees or his associates in business. He had family to torture as well. His character then included a second problem, and that was a cold heart. When his good-hearted nephew Fred came by the office one day to wish his uncle a Merry Christmas, the old miser's reply was, say it with me now, Bah humbug. Christmas a humbug, uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do, said Scrooge. (laughs) Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, returned the nephew. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said, Bah! Followed up with, Humbug. That evening, Scrooge made his way to what he called home cold, dark, dusty quarters. He was a little ill at ease, on the verge of even seeing things. As he huddled next to a stingy fire, his mood darkened even more. Then came 
Scrooge's famous confrontation, our second C. He began hearing otherworldly noises. His basement door flew open. He was confronted by the image of his late partner, Jacob Marley, dragging a length of chain. You're fettered, a trembled Scrooge observed. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied Marley. I made it, link by link and yard by yard. I girded it out of my own free will, and of my own free will, I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Marley then announced the three visitations that Scrooge was going to have to endure. And when he left, a fearful Ebenezer fell into a troubled sleep. We see first that Scrooge was troubled by his past. In our story, he's visited by the, the ghost of Christmas past. That apparition guided Scrooge on an introspective tour of his past. As a son of a neglectful father, he saw himself as he was on earlier Christmases. And on one of those Christmases, his fiancée, Belle, broke their engagement. And she gave as a reason that he loved money more than he loved her. And that reduced Scrooge to tears as he was overwhelmed with the regret of love lost. Secondly, Scrooge was troubled by his present. It seemed as soon as the first visitor had returned him to his bed, the ghost of Christmas present appeared. This time he got a strange Christmas-tide tour of London. He saw merry crowds filling the street and churches filled, packed, or filled and packed with worshipers, homes filled with holiday cheer, including his nephew Fred, who during that holiday time expressed his love for his miserly old uncle in spite of his demeanor. Then at the home of the Cratchit family, Scrooge was moved again by the the plight of little Tim, Bob's youngest, as he listened to their table conversation. His mom asked, and how did little Tim behave at church? As good as gold, said Bob, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful, sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in church because he was a cripple. And it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who makes lame beggars walk and blind men see. <laughs> or at least somebody was sensitive to the Lord here. Despite himself, Scrooge's heart melted, though, listening to the little boy. Spirit, said Scrooge with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. Well, so much for Scrooge's cold heart, huh? He's again confused and left with his deep thoughts in his own bed, but his night wasn't over yet. Soon his third visitor appeared, the ghost of Christmas is yet to come.
Scrooge was troubled by his as yet unwritten future. This ghost took Scrooge on a, a number of mysterious scenes, each related to someone's death. He overheard talk on the street. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? Asked a third person, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. <laughs> I thought he'd never die. God knows, what has he done with his money? Not until Scrooge sees his own name written on a tombstone does he realize that he himself was the subject of that sad obituary. And it was more than he could take. He was overcome. He shouted at the spirit, No, spirit! Oh, no, no, no! Spirit, hear me! I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been, but for this interaction. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I don't need a show of hands, but does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody else made that deal with God? Please don't strike me down now, God. Then give me a chance to change myself. In spite of dire consequences, Scrooge said, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach me. All of that brings us to our third C. That is Scrooge's change of heart. When Scrooge awoke from his nightmares, you remember what he did. He rushed out to the street wanting to share the new Christmas spirit that he had found. He sent a huge turkey to Bob Cratchit's house. Then he showed up later for Christmas dinner at his nephew, Fred's. He became as good a man as London knew. He even became a second father for Tiny Tim. He seemed to be a changed soul. That's Dickens' story. And there's a lot of truth in it. The truth is we're all sinners, forging our own chains in life. But does the message of a secular Christmas have the power to change us? Because of Christmas, we can be giving, caring, decent souls. There are a lot of us out here in this world. We should contemplate the past, the present, the future, and live accordingly. We should never give up on people, just the way Fred never gave up on his incorrigible Uncle Scrooge. We should never underestimate the potential of changed lives, especially this time of year. Unfortunately, though, there is a fatal flaw in the change that we see here in, in Dickens' Christmas Carol. And it's the difference between a new coat of paint and a complete remodel. Now, we can see Scrooge's Calamity. That's our fourth C. In Dickens' classic, the person of Jesus Christ 
is strangely missing, is absent. Dickens himself attended the Church of England, but his beliefs were Unitarian. He believed in a benevolent God, and the Bible contains some excellent axioms to live by. But Dickens himself had, as far as I know, no creed. He didn't profess any evangelical beliefs. Like a lot of our current holiday celebrations, he managed to capture the mood of Christmas while forgetting the manger of Christmas, the person of Jesus Christ, God himself come to earth. Ebenezer Scrooge, yeah, he had to change a heart. But that change didn't come from Christ. He was changed from a cold-hearted miser into a warm, kind-hearted philanthropist by the power of imagination. Scrooge's heart, whether it was temporary or permanent, was changed by the so-called Christmas spirit, not transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, please don't think I'm down or... Uh, or dismissive of the cultural spirit of the Christmas season. It's a marvelous time. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful time of celebration, even for our secular brothers and sisters. <laughs> but as we consider the message of Dickens' tale today, it's a good time to remember that as wonderful and as influential as this Christmas spirit is, it's clearly no match for the gospel of Jesus Christ. A Christmas carol might warm the heart, but only Christ can transform the soul. What we need is not just realization, but redemption. Not just sentiment, but we need a Savior. Even while the world continues to try, it still hasn't found a way to spell Christmas without C H. R-I-S-T. Christ still is in Christmas. So, happy holidays. I'm sure we'll continue to excise Christ from Christmas for the world. But we, we need to remember. Christmas, the only thing about Christmas is Christ. When God came to earth 2,000 years ago as a little baby, he came to bring real change for all of mankind. Change for our hearts, change for our lives, and change in our eternal address. He came to bring transformation. So, as we look today from the baby in the manger this Christmas to 2022, I want us to remember, and I will be praying that we all find and know change, that is transformation that we need, not just from the Christmas spirit, but I pray you have been changed or will be changed yet even today by the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we stand now at the beginning of a new year. Every 365 and a quarter days, I believe it is, we make this celebration. 
we can look back into this last year, 2021, and realize the difficult times that we have seen across the world because of pandemic. Many in our own lives, we've lost loved ones. We've seen other loved ones suffer. We ourselves may have been involved in that personally. So we can look at all, all that behind us now and thank you and show gratitude for bringing us through it. And as we look ahead, we can pray, we can ask, we can plead for a better year, an easier year, a year that we might find a way to attract someone to you. That's our call. That's what we are still left behind to do, is to bring others to you. So may the world not see us as miserly or cratchety or cold-hearted, stingy, judgmental, or any of those things. May they see the love that you have for all of us. May they see that in us. And may that be attractive, that they would want to know the God we worship, that they may know you. So we just ask for that in Jesus' name.